Um, okay, so uh, let's look at Job chapter 11. Then Zophar, the Nehemathite, answered and said, this is Job's third friend, and so far. Should a multitude of words go unanswered, and a man full of talk be judged right? Should your babble silence men, and when you mock, shall no one shame you? So it's describing how Job has been saying a lot of stuff, and someone needs to stop him. You know, shall your words go unanswered? Uh, someone needs to interrupt him, and so, so far, is interrupting Job, kind of like how all his friends have been speaking in a way to rebuke Job, to scold him, says, enough, enough, enough. I have to tell you something because I can't stand it anymore. Um, but it kind of implies as well that they don't really have an answer for Job. You know, Job has been, in a way, responding to them in this kind of like Q&A. Um, they rebuke him. They ask him questions, uh, trying to test him, and he's actually been answering them. And they're puzzled. They don't have an answer, and that's why they go in turn. It's always the next guy, the next guy, the next guy, because in a way they're, they're losing the argument. But at the same time, it makes them more angry, makes them feel more self-righteous. But um, his words uh, reveal that, you know what, Job is saying stuff that they don't have answers to, but they just want to interrupt him. They want him to stop complaining about God, complaining about his situation. So verse 4, for you say, Zophar says to Job, you say, my doctrine is pure, and I am clean in God's eyes, but oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you and tell you, uh, he would tell you the secrets of wisdom. So Job is maintaining his Innocence, I'm clean in God's eyes, he says. And Zophar is saying, rather than just me speaking to you, I wish that God would answer you and reveal to you all the secrets of wisdom. Sounds very positive, um, but it's, the, it's again a very passive-aggressive way of saying that you're an idiot and God is the one who has all the answers, that God himself would show you your foolishness. So God revealing his wisdom meaning revealing your lack of wisdom. Yeah. So very smart guy, uh, trying to sound smart, but using his smarts to put down his friend. Yeah. Uh, for he is manifold in understanding. Uh, know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so God hasn't punished you enough. So in light of all that he's suffering and all that Job is questioning about the reason why he's suffering so intensely uh, so far, rather than trying to understand his pain, understand his confusion, wishes that God will punish him even more so that he will be quiet. So out of the three, uh, Zophar is uh, the most sophisticated in the way that he opens his argument with Job. Um, he doesn't quite say like uh, the previous guy, Bildad. Bildad uh, says his words is like a great wind. You know, essentially says, "Shut up! You know, don't talk nonsense." But um, Zophar um, uh, does say that what he, uh, Job is complaining is babble. You know, should your babble silence men? But in the end, he says, "You know what? I think God Himself." 
should silence you with his wisdom, but also his punishment. So it's a very sophisticated kind of insult, put down, uh, really hurt them that he is trying to use his words to convey. Um, already, you know, uh, I think uh, those of us who, you know, write sermons, um, you know, say a lot of stuff in front of other people should be very careful about a uh, kind of passive aggressive way of putting others down. It's very possible to use very nice sounding words to make people feel stupid, to uh, shoot insults at them. And I think uh, Zophar's sophistication blinds him to the fact that he's doing this in a very cruel way. So, um, well, for myself, I think. I think I need to be very careful of doing stuff like this. Yeah. Okay, verse 7. Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you no, its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes through and imprisons and summons the court, who can turn him back? For he knows worthless men. When he sees iniquity, will he not consider it? But a stupid man will get understanding when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. Okay, so he begins by comparing Job's knowledge of God's insight. Can you find out? Can you find out the limits of God's knowledge? Uh, perhaps implying that Job really knows so little about God. Um, you know, Job here is speaking about how uh, God has executed a kind of judgment call that is less than perfect, less than fair and loving. And he says, what, what do you know? <laughs> what do you know about what God is thinking or what God is um, supposed to do in this situation? And it sounds, you know, it sounds kind of reasonable, right? I mean, we shouldn't presume to have God's mind, uh, to be able to discern his judgments. Uh, but the way that he ends again, you know, calling him stupid and... Uh, you know, a stupid man will get understanding when a do wild donkey's colt is born a man. So he says he's not only stupid, but he's a stupid person who will never be wise. You know, you only get understanding when a donkey is born into a man. That means a man is born out of, is that which way? Is it the donkey from the man or the man from the donkey? Uh, I guess, I, I don't understand. Something about maybe a man is born from a donkey. Yeah, kind of impossible situation. So it's really impossible for someone like you, Job, to ever get it, to ever understand just how great, how powerful God is, how deep is understanding. So he compares it to heaven and shale, heaven and hell, essentially, you know, higher than heaven, deeper than shale, you know, uh, the extent of God's database, God's knowledge, God's understanding. Um, longer than the sea, broader, sorry, longer than the earth, broader than the sea. Actually, I'm thinking of Ephesians. Isn't there a kind of prayer that where Paul says he prays for us to actually understand something like this? Um, uh, what are we looking at? Uh, Ephesians chapter, chapter, chapter three. Uh, at the end, Paul's prayer, uh, 
verse 17, you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Again, so again, all that dimensions, the height and depth, the breadth and length, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, be filled with all the fullness of God. So it does surpass knowledge, but we are meant to be stretched in how we understand God's love. And this is putting it in a very positive way for us as Christians, you know, to pray for one another, uh, especially for the church as a whole, you know, together with all the saints, to um, just be wowed by the extent of God's love. You know, that you can't get it, wow, you know, it's so intense, but still you want them to, in a sense, get it. You want them to see how amazing it is. But here it's put in the negative light. It says, you will never get it. You will never know. Uh, I just want you to stay in this situation of darkness and ignorance. And so it's, um, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. Again, uh, someone who understands God as being powerful and high and lofty and having all this judgment that is beyond our understanding, but using that as a way of separating someone else from God. You will never know God. You know, what do you know? You know, you'll never get him. You know, he will only judge you. You are stupid. You're foolish. He is wise. He is good. You will never come into a relationship with God. So um, very dangerous, isn't it? You know, to know enough about God only to condemn others in a way that says that they will never know God. And um, maybe the more gospel-like thinking is to pray that someone actually comes into that relationship so that they can see God in this light, but in a way that helps them appreciate Him, love Him, stand in awe before Him. Okay, verse 13. If you prepare your heart, you will stretch out your hands towards him. Like, like this, you know, um, you know, I guess a sign of repentance, a sign of need, you know, stretch out your hands before God. If iniquity is in your hand, put it far away and let not injustice dwell in your tents. Surely then you will lift up your face without blemish. You'll be secure. And you will not fear, you will forget your misery, you will remember it as waters that have passed away, and your life will be brighter than the noonday. Its darkness will be like the morning. And you will feel secure because there is hope. You will look around and take your rest in security. You will lie down and none will make you afraid. Many will court your favor but the eyes of the wicked will fail. All way, of, all way of escape will be lost to them and their hope is to breathe their last. They'll die. Yeah, you know, they'll lose. Uh, they'll have no way out, verse 20, and they'll just die. So contrast with the person uh, who stretches their hands before God, uh, prepares their heart, I guess, um, humbles himself, you know, turns to God in repentance. They will lift up their face. They'll have dignity. They will not suffer misery. Or rather, sorry, verse 16, you will forget your misery. So whatever pain they experience will be just a memory. It will just float away as waters have passed away. And the future will be bright. Your life will be brighter than a noonday. Darkness will be like the morning. So contrasting the person who is 
humble as opposed to being wicked, the person who turns to God as opposed to someone who is just stuck in their ways, doesn't want to repent, doesn't want to turn towards God. They will die, this guy will see light, see life, see joy. So it sounds, I mean, sounds okay, right? <laughs> sounds, sounds good. Um, can't really complain about that, except again, uh, I don't know. Is it that Zophar just fails to see that Job is suffering and that his words, though right in a sense, are just causing him more pain? Is it just that, that he needs to be more sensitive, more empathetic? Or is there something more fundamentally wrong with his theology? Is something here that he says actually wrong? I, 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 I don't know. See, I'm having trouble deciding that. Let, let's test both. Okay, the first one is obvious. You know, he is insensitive. He's saying all these hurtful words. But so far, um, are they being condemned for being insensitive? Um, it seems more along the lines of being foolish. They don't actually know the God whom they're defending. It's more along those lines that there is a fundamental error in their logic and their reasoning and their wisdom that they don't actually know what they're talking about. That seems to be more along the lines of Job. But at the same time, uh, the way that you can tell that they have a flaw in their logic is their insensitivity, is their brashness, almost their anger. You know, when you see an angry man stand in front of the church and preach good theology, um, actually already that uncontrollable rage. And honestly, anyone can tell, right? You know, someone's angry at a guy, what's, it, what's his problem? No matter how good the theology is, there's something very disjointed about that manner and that message. So already, I think we see that with so far. So that's testing the first premise, first theory that he's being insensitive. But the one I'm more um, kind of puzzled by is, or wondering about is, does he actually have something wrong with his theology? It's hard to tell because he is saying, you know, um, repent towards God. That sounds like a good thing. He is promising a kind of prosperity, you know, that he turns towards God, that, you know, life will be brighter than the noonday darkness will be like the morning. It's a very poetic, picturesque picture of um, what salvation looks like, you know, um, having that security, that assurance that you've been forgiven. Uh, but I, I wonder if it is maybe, maybe a tad too simplistic. Uh, one uh, kind of like clear misunderstanding that's come from reading 11 chapters of Job so far. So we've covered three friends at least once through in terms of their statements, is that all of them reject any, any notion whatsoever that innocent people will suffer. Any kind of even hint that um, people who believe in God, who are faithful before God, who are blameless, can actually experience a kind of judgment that comes directly from God. And I think fundamentally, uh, from their ignorance and just their unwillingness to acknowledge this, shows that this is a very dangerous thing not to incorporate into our the theology, or even to tell people who are Christians, to say that, you know what, actually, you will suffer, uh, maybe almost unfairly, you know, not because of your sin, 
but a part of that suffering, rather than diminishing your faith or diminishing your status as a Christian, might actually actually affirm affirm your relationship and your righteousness and indeed God's approval upon you as someone who is blameless, who doesn't deserve this kind of suffering. They don't get that. And um, I guess of all people, we as Christians should because, you know, Jesus, the most innocent person suffering the most tragic, painful death. But at the same time, um, I think... Uh, it's easy to forget this when we ourselves are seemingly in the right. We ourselves are unsuffering. We ourselves are looking upon someone who we don't like, but is suffering and, and it's tempting for us to say, aha, you see, there, there, you, see, you did something wrong. Ah, don't try to defend yourself. And we feel almost justified in condemning that person with a kind of slam dunk theology. Yeah, I don't know what else I can say about this. Um, yeah, which, which do you think it is? Hmm. Hmm. Maybe a combination of both. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, what do I take away from this? I think uh, just that first bit again, using our eloquence to put people down, using maybe even the Bible as a kind of hammer to knock on people's heads. Uh, even if, you know, maybe not talking about Job, even if someone deserves it, and we use it gleefully, or we use it in a way that just advances our agenda of putting people down. I think that's very possible, that does happen. It's a very dangerous and tempting thing for people who are in that position of you know, teaching, of speaking to others from the Bible, that um, unless we are conscious of, unless we are very, very prayerfully um, aware of and just intentionally not doing that, I think we will do that. I think we all sound like Zophar. We all say these kind of things, maybe even on Sunday in church. And um, I'm, I'm sure, actually, you know, I'm sure I've done that before in the past. And I need to repent of that. And I need to be aware of that in the future so that I don't, don't do more of that if, if humanly possible. And I think uh, it maybe blinds me to the hurt of others. I think that's probably the most worrying thing. When um, someone does this long enough, not only do they get carried away, but they, they just don't see. They don't just see how hurtful they are uh, towards the person whom they're trying to so-called encourage or how God might even be upset with them for saying stuff like this, having this kind of attitude of heart. Um, yeah. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for these kinds of pictures of preachers and pastors. <laughs> I think so far it's kind of like an angry pastor preaching uh, what he believes is right theology with the right motives, but in a very uncaring way, in a manner that really doesn't display the love and the mercy of the gospel. Um, help me to recognize moments when I am like so far, before I even ask that you keep me from becoming more and more like him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so that's Job chapter 11. Uh, yeah, long episode. Good night. Bye.